What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I am your host, Mike Milner. And you may notice that I sound different on this episode of The Coach's Compass. First and foremost, I would like to apologize because the last two episodes, something happened with my little sound system here. I'm, I'm very anal about quality sound. And so if you stopped listening to the previous two episodes, I'm sorry. Uh, there was nothing that I could do. I tried everything. I did the whole unplug and replug it in and, uh, you know, shut down and reboot and whatever. And it was bizarre because it was like halfway through, uh, the interview that I did for Monday's episode. And then it, and it happened again. And, uh, now we seem to be okay. So I'm hoping that everything is good to go from here on out, but I just wanted to take a minute and apologize, uh, because the sound quality was not where it should be. And I have standards, but at the, at the same, on the same, at the same time, um, I also am a big fan of done is better than perfect. And sometimes we just have to make adjustments over excuses. So it is what it is. But this episode was a special one because I had the first ever, the first ever guest on the coach's compass. I had Philip Pape who is a nutrition coach. He is somebody who is currently enrolled in my copy that converts course. And I thought it was a really cool perspective to hear from somebody who has been coaching for a couple of years um, and just kind of the process of starting his business and some of the marketing tactics that he learned early on. We kind of got into his journey a little bit about on the nutrition side and then how that uh, carried over into the business side of things. And um, he's somebody who's also working full time while he does coaching on the side. And I think that that is a perspective that a lot of coaches are dealing with and, and curious about. So you'll hear, you know, how he handles that balance and uh, how he juggles both and also has a family and, you know, a lot of responsibility. So I think this will be a really cool episode. If you guys enjoy it, we would love to hear feedback. Uh, it's truly just, we're, we're always curious. How did you enjoy the show? How did you enjoy the episode? Um, if you want to let us know on Instagram, the best thing you can do is take a screenshot of the episode, post it to your stories. You can tag me at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner, and you can tag Philip at wits and weights. And as always, if you leave a five star rating and review on Apple podcasts or Spotify, you get entered into our weekly giveaway to win a free supplement of your choice from one of our sponsors, our amazing sponsors, Organify, Cured Nutrition or Legion Athletics. And if you subscribe and follow the show, it really helps us to reach a new audience and to reach more people. So those are all the things you can do to show some love. And now we're going to show the love in return by getting into the interview with Philip Pape. All right. What's up, everybody? This is actually a, a, a monumental episode because it is the first official guest on the Coach's Compass. I've got Philip Pape on with me. What's going on, Philip? Thanks for joining. What's going on, Mike? Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so kicking things off with uh, the the first ever guest on the Coach's Compass, which I think it'll, it'll be fun because hearing perspective from uh, somebody other than myself on the business side of things will be cool. Uh, so I'd love to start with just your background, um, how you got into the industry, what you do, and kind of set the frame that way. Yeah, I mean, I've always been a super driven person, a very uh, precise engineering mindset. In fact, I've been an engineer since the beginning of my career and my coaching um my coaching business became sort of a side hustle to that that's been growing and and recently growing even more thanks to thanks to your uh, course there but um i've always 
I've always been on the hunt for the answer, right? I'm the kind of guy who likes to know how it works, exactly how we can get from A to B. And yet, no matter how much action I took over the years with my personal health, it just wasn't working. And I know you can relate to this. I know your your uh, listeners can. Um, everything from you know the, all the diets to the intermittent fasting to all the training programs, I did those over the years. And it wasn't until my late 30s, after 10 years of CrossFit, after you know keto and carnivore and intermittent fasting and all those things, that uh, something clicked for me, and it really became more about the behaviors, right? It became more about um, doing things in a way that aligned with my identity rather than trying to restrict and cut and follow some sort of person's programs or rules. And specifically, what that looked like was in late 2019, I was turning uh, turning 39. And it was one of those moments where uh, my birthday was coming up, Halloween was coming up, and I raided the candy drawer again. Like I just couldn't help myself, you know. I raided the candy drawer, and I said, "This is enough. I've got to, I've got to get in shape." Right? Something we tell ourselves twenty times in twenty years, and for some women, one hundred twenty times in their life, um, if they can't quite figure that out. So, um, I, I said, "I got to do something different." So, what did I do? I cut carbs. Right? <laughs> I cut carbs and which we're going to talk about is wasn't necessarily helpful for me. Um, but I did that and I talked to my coach at the time who was my CrossFit coach who had become now a strength and conditioning coach, big, strong guy. And I said, you know, man, I, I'm trying to improve my physique. I don't know what, why things aren't working. And he was like, dude, you just got to get strong. Just got to stop sweating it. Eat for your goals. Eat for your strength. You'll get there. And I said, okay, what do you mean eat for my goals? He's like, don't worry about the diets. Don't worry about the foods. Just be an athlete and then eat like an athlete. And for me, that, that helped tremendously because I started to you know, release the idea of someone else telling me what's right and wrong. And I started to hit the gym with the big lifts, with the squats, deadlifts, all the stuff when you talk about building muscle and building strength. Uh, and I focused on that for three months. And then COVID hit <laughs> and the pandemic hit and the lockdowns happened. And all of a sudden, um, I had to pivot, right? I didn't have equipment in my gym, but I wanted my gym to be my laboratory, my sanctuary. Um, and so I hustled. I found a barbell. I found a rack. I found a way to lift heavy, which for me was aligned with this identity of wanting to be an athlete. And I listened to podcasts. I started following, you know, your podcast was definitely on the list. Uh, I started reading books, watching videos, doing the whole thing. And um, I started to get much better at the the act of lifting and getting strong, but I didn't know anything about nutrition. So I ate for my strength and I overate for my strength, if that makes any sense. Um, and I gained probably about 40 pounds in like six to eight months. And a lot of that was fat, right? So that led me to think, okay, I've got this side covered. What do I do for the nutrition side? And um that's when I discovered the evidence-based world of fitness and guys like um, Adam Bornstein, uh, also uh, Atomic Habits, and kind of a combination of both the habit and behavioral change side, as well as the evidence-based flexible dieting side. And those two meshed together really well for me uh, because for the first time, I, I started tracking my food. I started learning about myself and started to eat in alignment with my goals. Um, long story short, I went through my uh, first successful fat loss phase, learned a ton, still didn't know a lot, but I wanted to start a podcast. So late 2021, I started the Wits and Weights podcast to just get it out there. And as you know, the first few episodes of podcasts, you're probably pretty embarrassed about when <laughs> you go back and listen to them. 
Um, but through that process, I connected with a lot of people and I started to, as you would say, shift beliefs. I started to get people saying, wow, I didn't know that and go through the same process of discovery I had um, until the point came where enough people were saying, please help me and that I became a coach. I went through NCI, I became a coach and the rest is history. So you didn't start with the intention of building a coaching business. It was more, hey, I want to just share this information because I think it's really helpful. And it was kind of, uh, wow, there's actually people that are listening and paying attention that could use my help. And uh, what was that transition where you're like, maybe I'm onto something and then actually making it a business where you uh, working full time, like looking for something else? Or was it truly just a, hey, this this kind of fell into my lap? Yeah, I was not looking for it. It was the podcast was a passion project. And the first inkling that I could help people on a bigger scale was uh, when a powerlifter who came on my show, I actually knew her through my work. Um, and she she came in second in the USPA here in Connecticut in her weight class. So she was pretty serious about it. And she said, um, or I invited her on my show. I think she was my first guest interview, actually. I invited her on my show. She binged all the episodes beforehand, sent me a voicemail and said, you know, hey, Philip, I wanted to tell you this. I am blown away because I have coaches. I have a nutrition coach. I have a trainer. And they've been telling me what to do for years. And I've been listening to them, but not understanding why it works. And for me, it just felt artificial. All of a sudden, I listen to, to your show and I understand why it works. My contract's expiring. Do you want to be a coach? <laughs> and so, you know, she came on the show. We had a whole conversation. I said, you know what? I'm all about messy action. Let's just, you know, action before everything. Let's just do it. Um, and I looked into it, found NCI, got my uh, eight guinea pigs. I know you're supposed to have two, but I got eight, including her. And and again, from that point, realized that just the not only the information, but the ability to help people think differently and get this freedom and satisfaction from nutrition uh, expanded from there. Nice. Do you feel like I, when I first got into it, I've, I've talked about this where uh, I did things the wrong way for a long time and had to learn uh, through working for another company and seeing that it wasn't just enough to prescribe macros. It wasn't just enough mm-hmm. to have, you know, the calories in calories out model that we actually really needed to tap into behavior change and human psychology. Mm-hmm. It was so much more about mindset, hence the name of the show. But, uh, do you feel like you kind of had the, the foundation in place from the get go or were there a lot of mistakes that you made along the way? No, no, definitely made a ton of mistakes. I think that's the that's the point when you're building a business is that's the that's the time to help as many people as you can, potentially for free or whatever it takes, because the value is not in, you know, making it getting a paycheck at that point. The value is in learning the process and getting feedback from your clients. So for me, uh, I did have a little bit of that macro approach initially and very quickly found out that 90% of the problems my clients face were not about macros. They weren't about food. They were about how to how to handle this situation in my life, how to you know feel this way, how to manage hunger, and so on. Right. So no, I made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. How did you overcome one of the most common things that I hear is uh, you know I, I feel like an imposter when I just get certified. I just you know NCI is a great course. You know I talked about. I think I did twelve different certifications and just kept trying to learn more so that I would feel adequate, but I never actually felt adequate or equipped. It was just, I had to do it to your point, messy action. Um, How did you personally navigate that feeling of imposter syndrome, especially when you have somebody like a competitive power lifter who's like, Hey, sign me up. And you're like, you know, this is one of my first ever clients that can feel like a lot of pressure. What were some of the things that you did to just get over that or some of the things that you do now to, you know, as you continue to level up there's, you know, I feel like that, that feeling never goes away. So what what are some of the tools that you Mm. use for yourself? 
yeah, that feeling never goes away. Um, in fact, I I was talking to another podcast host the other day who I wanted to be on his show and he sort of questioned my credentials and how successful I was in all this and asked me to prove myself. And right there, the kernel of imposter syndrome came up again. We had a great conversation and you know he fed off my energy and we said, let's do it anyway. So that was good. But it comes up a lot. Um, I think there's an element of taking the action, getting the feedback and knowing that you can just uh, do something that's unproven and you're your own worst critic. You're your own worst judge. Most people don't really care. Most people just, and it started with public speaking for me, to be honest. Um, I started working on that skill 10 years ago. And and that was a huge eye-opening moment of people aren't really judging you when you're up on stage. They're not. Um, they want you to succeed. So if you kind of carry that kernel into everything you do, that your clients want you to show up for them. And if you don't have an answer, that's actually, that's amazing because now you can go and discover it and act like a detective and be relentless on their behalf and show that you really care and you're a great coach. So just just get out there. Um, don't make it complicated. Don't do so much binging of the information first. Just take a little piece and run with it. Completely. Um, yeah. yeah. Learn the thing, implement the thing, and then master the thing, and then learn the next thing and, and rinse and repeat that process. Uh, and I think it's true. Like One of the best things you can say to a client is, I don't know, but let me go find out. And there's a lot of respect there because I think sometimes we feel like we have to have the answers. That was actually really what drove my pursuit into education is in my mind, I had to have I had to have the answer to every question that might come up. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting here playing all these scenarios of like, well, what if a client asks me this? Oh, I, I better go get certified in this other thing. I was like, well, what about if a client asks me this over here? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, there's another certification. And I wasn't actually helping anybody. And that's yeah. the biggest thing is if you're one step ahead, you can help. And that's really all it takes. So for somebody who isn't certify like once you go through a, a certification like NCI or you know any of the other ones that are out there uh, you already know a lot more than a lot of people that you can help and it's just starting there knowing that if you're one step ahead you have all the tools you need to help and then you'll continue to learn along the way um, so you started to get some some inquiries from the podcast you started to recognize that there was you know something to it um, what was the transition like are you still you know did you just burn the boats and go all in? Like, What was the process for for growing your business? No, I, di- I didn't go all in. I do have a certain element of risk aversion because in my younger days, I made some not so great investments and I'm glad I learned those as a young person. But um, no, I didn't go all in. I did it in an intelligent way for me, which was I have a family and I'm a sole income supporter of my family. My wife stays at home. We homeschool our kids. And so I have to maintain that level of protection early on. Um, but that in many ways takes away some of the, I guess, desperation that a lot of people might have or the the negative urgency to to build that business. Um, the downside might be that I don't have all the urgency some people have. So I recognize that, Mike. I try to be aware of it. And so what I do is just triage. I say, okay, there's a hundred things on my to-do list, but really these five matter. Really, I got I to gotta write my emails to my email list, right? I want to do my podcast. I, I have clients that I have to deliver to. So, and not have to, I choose to, I want to. Um, I think that was your question, Mike, right? Yeah. 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 And so you're still, you still work full time as you do the coaching business? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Uh, and what were some of the things uh, as you were getting started from like shifting into the business side of things that you um, initially were looking at from maybe like a marketing or sales, you know, I, just kind of, Give me the frame of, did you feel like you had a lot of that knowledge already? Um, I know when I first started my business, 
I was horrible at sales. I had no clue what, I didn't even know what marketing was. I probably couldn't have defined it. Um, I certainly didn't know anything about copywriting. I just fortunately decided to do an email list, which was one of the best decisions, kind of like happy accident that happened. Um, what, what was like the frame for you as you were getting started? It was very similar, to be honest. I, I don't even think I had an Instagram account at the time. Like, I'm, you know, I'm 42. So I'm kind of straddling that millennial Gen X generation where I didn't use a lot of social media. And um, when I went through certification, right, you learn a lot about nutrition, not so much about business unless you want to go into that, you know, invest in the, the business side of things. Uh, but the biggest problem, or not problem for me, the biggest challenge was, okay, even if somebody comes in and says they're interested, what do I do? Right? Like, what, how does the sales call look? I started learning about the scripts and I said, ah, this doesn't feel natural. And honestly, it's a combination of getting that and then having those calls or talking to people and realizing what aligns with you or not. And at least one of the reasons I, I'm attracted to your approach is it's really about, um, it's not selling. It's it's attracting people to your values, your integrity, and to how you do things. And you've gone through the personal experience, but I also helped others go through that. So um, I've gone through a lot of, uh, what would you call it? A lot of... Um, rotations through that process over the last year and a half. And only in the last six months has it started to click that I don't want to be on sales calls. I don't want to be DMing people. I'd rather just put out as much value and information as possible and let let that draw people to me. What were some of those early iterations? So you can we can see like the parallel when when you first get into nutrition and you're doing keto and you're doing, you know, low carb and CrossFit plus low carbs, and that's not the perfect marriage. Okay. <laughs> what are some of yeah. those like parallels on the business side, some of those early iterations? Okay, I'll tell you the the social media diet of putting out a hand raiser, right? Creating some, you know, chintzy little guide, uh, and then DMing everybody who says they want it, and then somehow going from there into sales calls. Like that's what it was for me. And I just absolutely despised doing it. Like I just dreaded it to the point where I either wouldn't or I'd force myself. And that's just like with the diet. It's like I'm forcing myself to eat or not eat a certain thing because someone says it's the right way to do it. So that that's one example. Yeah. Were you was it a lack of alignment? Like what was the thing that felt off about that? Because it's like one of the most common, commonly yes. taught practices. And for for those who don't know, a hand raise is basically any sort of like post that you're making on Facebook or Instagram or anywhere that you're literally trying to get somebody to raise their hand and say, I want that thing or I'm interested. And the objective is to keep it insanely vague. You're not talking about your process. You're not talking about your coaching. You're literally just getting somebody to engage in any way that you can. And then you message that person to say, Hey, I saw you were interested in this thing and let's have a conversation. And then you attempt to shift that conversation into a sales call. It's a sales call, even though some people try to dress it up as a discovery call or a whatever free strategy session or whatever, however we try to, it's mm -hmm. just, you know, it, it feels to me like a total bait and switch, but what, what was your feeling when you kind of were like, yeah, I don't know if this is right. Yeah. It, it felt, I felt artificial. Like if I sent the if I uh, had some some hand raiser and I sent it out to the world, it it's really not the same as what you're going to get from uh, my long form content and talking to me about my process and the whole uh, you know behavior change and program that we go through to actually get you results. So uh, I, yeah, I guess I don't know how to put it, Mike. Other than it was it was forced, you know, um, trying to put together some random guide that was super high level. It just felt forced. 
So today it's more deep. It's more uh, trying to get you from here to there in my with my information. It's not so much hand raisers. It's just engagement and talking to you like a human being. Um, that's kind of the shift. Yeah. And I noticed that when I was doing that process, there's one that's very similar, again, drawing the parallels to diet, where uh, when I was in my chronic dieting years, I just thought it's what I had to do. I just, I truly didn't know that there was another way. It was just, this is what you have to do if you want this result. And I thought the same thing as I was being taught these marketing tactics that this is just what you have to do. Even though I knew it felt out of alignment, it was like, yeah, well, if I want a business, if I want to make this a real thing, I just have to do this. Uh, and then I noticed very early on that the conversations were not with the people that I actually wanted to work with. So it was this total draining process to yes. try to, you know, convince somebody and coerce somebody to get on a call. And then I'm on the call and I'm like, I don't even want this person to sign up. Like I hope they say no. And that's not the best way to show up to uh, a sales call. So what, what were some of the shifts that you made once you started to recognize that this was maybe a artificial forced process? As you're saying, uh, what was, what was kind of the next? iteration from there. Yeah. I mean, like you said, there, there are, you get so many objections when someone comes in who's not aligned that it just feels like a, a hamster wheel, right? Just constant, constant hamster wheel. So um, the shifts were in, you know, speaking to people like a human, um, putting out the, putting out as much content as I could, both through my email and through my podcast, through my Facebook group um, and connecting people with t- people in a deeper way. Um, when I get on a, I, I actually, so here's an interesting thing. I've many of my new clients have come through uh, email and I didn't even have to have a sales call with them because they said, Hey, I've been following you now for three months. You know, they may not have been ready after one week or one month. Um, everything you're saying resonates with me. I'm almost shocked that, that I didn't know this before because the, the information in the fitness industry is so misaligned. Um, let's work together. And so I'll ask them a few follow up questions make sure we're good. They already know they're good because they've, I've been transparent about it. And then it's like, and here's my price, you know, no, no hiding it. Are you good to go? And yeah, occasionally people will ghost you, but a lot of times they'll say, sure, let's do it. Um, so I've sold several clients that way. Um, and then besides that, uh, the calls that I get on now are not sales calls. They're more like, um, Hey, I, I have this, this thing that I'm struggling with. You talked about it in your podcast or your email. Maybe it's building muscle is often the case. And, uh, I, I want to understand how to do this thing with my training program. So I say, okay, let's, let's get on a call. We have the call. I solve their problem. I don't ask for a sale. And at the end, at least half the time, how do I work with you? Right. I think that's a much more natural aligned approach. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, so I'm going to ask you kind of more of a philosophical question. That's probably. Not an easy one to answer, but I'm genuinely curious because I, when, when we talk about the the stuff that's out there in the diet industry, it it makes sense from a business perspective, right? Like when when Weight Watchers goes out there and they brag about repeat customers, and as coaches we sit back and we're like, wait a minute, repeat customers? That means they failed, and they're trying, and, and you're happy that they're re-signing with you, but because they couldn't do it on their own, that's the opposite of what you want. But from a business perspective, they're still collecting financially, if people lose weight on Weight Watchers and then it's unsustainable and then they gain it back, I'm not picking specifically on Weight Watchers, just an example, uh, then they gain it back and then they go back to the program and they spend more money. Financially, it makes sense that the way that diets are constructed are kind of designed to fail because the more that they fail, the more money that they pump into the system. From a marketing and business coaching perspective, telling people to do stuff like that doesn't make sense to me. The the whole misaligned 
vague uh, way of posting content just for engagement, send all these DMs, do all this stuff that feels very out of alignment instead of, you know, attraction, instead of, like you said, just showing people how your process works and explaining all the things that you can do and showing them the, here's how we go from point A to point B. And this is exactly what it looks like to work with me. Why is that the, the, you know, abnormal way of doing things? Like from, from a business perspective, if you're teaching these other methods, there's no value in having a coach fail, right? You want them to make money. You want them to be successful. So why are we teaching these methods that are out of alignment? And, uh, you know, why aren't more people doing it this way? Yeah. So first, uh, so, so the first part of the question, why, why does the diet industry even thrive on that? I think it does have to do with the, uh, expectations for, for body image and weight on the scale is like the one metric and driver of success and, physique and how you look and feel and all that. When in reality, we know people fail time and time again. Um, I don't think getting results and transformation has to be misaligned with having clients who want to work with you for longer than a certain period. Meaning, and I have many clients that do this where after six months, we've gotten gotten them the incredible short-term result they want, but now they've built these skills that I want them to fire me after that six months. And I say that, I say that in my language and yet they actually want to continue working together because your habits never stop growing. Your personal growth never ends and they want to get more and more advanced and, and challenge themselves more and more. They've, they've established the foundation and now they want to take it to a new level. And I'm happy to help them do that. And they, they like to have someone in their corner, right? Like part of motivate self-determination theory is being in a community being some, with somebody who's um, got your back. And so that's why I'm in your community. That's why I hire coaches. And it's, it's, I think they can be aligned. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that it's, you know, 100% the case that we, we love to have that accountability, that support. Um, I know even having figured things out to a certain extent with my own nutrition fitness, you know, I, I work so much better with a coach. Um, so the, the second part of that is, um, why are more, why aren't more business and marketing coaches teaching uh, more transparency and like what, what's the value for them to teach kind of the vague methods? And I, I can't read their minds, Mike. I really don't. I, I don't, you know, it, it, it repels me so much. Uh, just the cold DMing and all of the advertisements of, you know, t- 10K months, 20K months, 50K, whatever. It's just, it's this. It's same thing in the diet industry. It's just um, kind of hormozy principle, right? Like quick, fast, and what are the three things? Quick, fast, and the other thing. Um, and getting the result as fast as you want. It's like, why do people get laser fat removal rather than wanting to change their behaviors? I, I think that's all it comes down to is is the charlatanism of, of the quick result. Yeah. And I, I think it's one of those ironies because that's often the long way. Like we know that from dieting. Yes. You try to lose 20 pounds as fast as possible. That's the long way. <laughs> you do it the sustainable way. That's the shortcut. It's the same thing with business. You, uh, you know, try to do the cold DM outreach and, uh, all the vague marketing tactics. Uh, you, you might see some temporary short term success, but, but long term, it's, it's actually the longer way because eventually you'll realize that that's unsustainable because you're burning out your audience and you have no process of actually providing value. People don't know what you do and, and you are repelling likely the exact people that you want to work with. Um, so when you started to do things the right way, um, was it, how did you find that path? Like, uh, you know, cause again, sometimes we just don't know what we don't know. We don't know what's out there. Uh, what was that process of, of enlightenment, uh, enlightenment, so to speak, where you're like, you know what, this way doesn't feel right. But then, then you kind of found 
your process that that was really successful for you? That is that is a good question. I think by a lot of it came down to listening to and getting feedback from my community, my audience, people who reached out and listening to the values that were aligned between us. So when I would hear words like um, compassionate or open or transparent, you know, I would cling on to those because they would resonate with me. And I, I wasn't hearing words, you know, like like quick fix or whatever's related to that. So um, it, it's it's kind of like with nutrition, right? If we don't know how many calories we're eating and we don't know how much protein we're eating and we don't know whether our lifts are going up or down and we don't have that information, we can't feed it back to change our behaviors. Um, and so I like that kind of tiny habits approach of you're constantly taking little micro actions. You're getting that feedback, micro actions, feedback, anything I do that starts to just feel like it's veering off, stop and go to the next thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, so you've had your coaching business for what, uh, two years now? Yeah. About two years. Yep. What's, uh, what's the objective? I think, you know, a lot of people are in a similar position where they're working full time and, um, they've got the coaching thing on the side. And, um, so this is kind of a two part question. Number one is how do you balance that? Uh, how do you make it work with both? And then what's your goal for the coaching side of things? I get the balance question a lot. And, uh, (laughs) that's funny because I, first of all, I think if you're not doing something that feels like part of your life, it's, misaligned to begin with, whether that's your career, your business, whatever. Meaning I got into this because it it really helped me and others sought my help and I'm able to help them and make this huge impact such that a lot of the work I spend on my business is kind of fun for me. It's it's enjoyable, even if it is here and there something I have to do. Um, but if it's not um, lighting me up on a regular basis, I, I reconsider it, whether that should be something that I'm doing. So it's not that I only work 40 hours a week. It's that I work a lot, but a lot of a lot of that is just part of my life. But the second piece of that is I do have to prioritize the things that are important to me. So for me, that's my family. And that means, you know, night nighttime eating dinner at the table, uh, before bed, having daddy time with my girls. That means the weekends are pretty much sacred and blocked off almost completely, except for early in the morning. I'll get up and do some work. <laughs> it never stops, right, Mike? Um and and kind of blocking your time. I've found that this is actually a really good thing for me because when I transition, if and when I'm able to transition this into a bigger and eventually full-time business, I'll have this massive efficiencies uh, in place. I'll have systems in place. You're a big fan of systems. Um, you see me ask about it on the chat a lot of times. Like I'm thinking, how do I, how do I just make this a little more efficient so I spend less time? So yeah, efficiency, time blocking, those are like the strategies, but being aligned and making it part of your life is more the principle. Yeah, makes sense. And then uh, what's, you, you kind of alluded to it, of mm. making this a full-time thing, but uh, what's what's the the vision for your coaching business? Uh, that That is hard. I think I don't know the answer to that yet, Mike. I honestly don't. I'm just going to be honest because I I still get a lot of value from my full-time job. And I think What's interesting is there are a ton of transferable skills between the two. So in, in my my full-time job, I coach and mentor people. I lead people. I'm, a, I'm an engineering leader and we work on systems and uh, you know developing products. And a lot of that actually translates to the skills I use in coaching. You know, I, I was asked on a podcast, like, how can people trust you when you've only been doing this two years? I said, you know, I've actually been mentoring and coaching people for about 15, 20 years, just not necessarily with nutrition. And the information is just a small piece of it. So uh, how do I answer that? I guess <laughs> um, if I could do both for 
about a five-year horizon and whittle away and become full-time, I would be happy. Five years for me is, is okay. Yeah. Yeah. I always answer pretty similarly. I, somebody asked me, uh, what's your vision for the next year? And I couldn't answer it. <laughs> yes. uh, you know, I think what I like to do is focus on what's immediately in front of me. And then um, I was listening to a podcast with uh, so about kind of like startup businesses and and the paths that they take. And it was just, we go as far as we can see. And then when we get there, we can see further. So I kind of take that approach. Um, you know, of course, there's things I would like to accomplish, but it's more of a, a value-based thing, like, you know, mm -hmm. being able to travel, being able to spend time with family. Those are the things that are important as long as my business is not taking away from those things. It's actually facilitating those things that I'm, that I'm happy. Um, but I think it's our, you know, it's, it's one of those, this is just a random aside, but I had mentioned earlier, did you, did you burn the boats and go all in? And you said, no, I kept, I kept my, my full-time job and I still have it. Um, uh, the irony of that saying is it actually doesn't mean what a lot of people think it means. We use it, mm. uh, burn the boats. We use it in, in the frame of take away the option of anything else. Take away the plan B, take away the fallback option. Um, but the real story of burning the boats was, uh, you know, Cortez from, from Cuba going to fight in, in a war in Mexico and, um, was basically told if, if you leave and, and go to Mexico and you come back to Cuba without fighting, then we will kill you. We will assassinate you. So Cortez was actually facing certain death if he didn't Burn the boats. The burning the boats was actually the safer option because he had, even though they could have been killed in, in battle, but there was a chance that they could win. There was no chance of him surviving if he didn't go or if he came back without, you know, going to, to war. So, um, we often use it as get rid of plan B in that situation. That was the only, that was actually the safer bet. It wasn't the riskier option. I think a lot of times we get in this mindset or we hear people say, um, you know, just, Take away the safety net, take away the security, mm -hmm. bike, which can be okay for some people. But a lot of times, um, doing both for as long as you can can be really valuable. There's kind of that, that period of, you know, I, I was bartending and, and personal training for a long time and I, mm -hmm. you know, was needed to do both to support myself. And, um, you know, I think sometimes people feel a lot of pressure to, uh, escape the side hustle or to get rid of the, the security blanket to go all in. Uh, that's not always the best bet is is the only point to that very long-winded story. <laughs> yeah, no. And two things I want to add to that. So I have a very close friend who who did that. He went all in and he talks about how he regrets it multiple times <laughs> and 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 wish he hadn't. And and again, that's just an anecdotal thing, but it you've got to make the right choice for you. Um, and the second thing is it gives me some freedom in a way on the financial side to make different choices and also to invest money sometimes where others might have to invest time. And I value that. And again, if you, if you look at some of the, I guess, good business advice out there about building your business, they'll say, maybe you need a part-time job on the side to kind of supplement that. Go hustle and do this and that before you just go all in. And I already have that. So why don't I take the most advantage of it? Yeah, 100%. I want to take a brief pause in this conversation with Philip to tell you about Legion Athletics. If you're a coach, you probably already know about Legion, but are you giving your clients 20% off Legion products? That is the key because we got you covered. If you're a Mind Over Macros listener and you want to support the show, then you can go to legionathletics.com and use code POPFAM to get 20% off any of their products. They've got everything. I just got the uh, Mocha Cappuccino Protein. So I put a little bit of that in my coffee and frothed it up and it was delicious. There is 
nothing better than just like a little, I use like 10 grams of protein in my coffee is so good. And you just, just do the little frother. Um, so the mocha cappuccino with the coffee was delicious. Um, I've been using their multivitamin. Uh, we just got their gut health product, which I haven't tried yet. So I can't really speak to that, but we also got the, um, what did we get? The magnesium. We got the fish oil. We got the vitamin D. Uh, Mel got the uh, women's multi. I got the men's multi. So um, we're we're really all about Legion right now. Um, it's such good stuff. So uh, if if you have supplement needs, you might as well get a discount and you go to legionathletics.com and you use code POPFAM. That's P-O-P-F-A-M and get yourself 20% off any of their products, their protein, their vitamins, their you know vitamin D. Uh, fish oil, any of the stuff that they have pre-workout, they've got you covered on all of that. So legionathletics.com is the site, code POPFAM, P-O-P-F-A-M. And now let's get back to the episode. Yeah, and I think being able to build that foundation and yeah, that's the one thing that I, I wish I, I learned earlier um, was kind of the things that I'm implementing now, the things that I'm teaching now. I wish I had started, you know, like I said, I was fortunate to start my email list, but a lot of the kind of the marketing strategy and, and really, you know, pouring into, um, transparency in the process and telling people, you know, how we do what we do. And it was a kind of like a desperation moment that I had in, in 2021 that changed everything. The way that I approached marketing and sales and all of that stuff just completely turned it on its head and haven't looked back since. Um, what's been your, your experience so far with, um, you know, getting into the, the copy that converts course? I think. You know, this obviously this segment is for coaches. So I think um, yep. some some insider perspective would be would be great. Yeah. So again, speaking of messy action, right? You you launch that course with a ton of great modules and you're adding more every day. So it's like, you know, you got it out there and we can learn from it. And then in the group, we're like, hey, Mike, what's next? Are you gonna give us this and give us that? And we're, you know, constantly giving you feedback. Um, but for me, it was a few different things. One, it was the idea that emails are even valuable. Like that is a premise that a lot of people don't have um, is, is that writing emails multiple times a week, potentially every day. And I know others even do it multiple times a day, but the idea is you're going to repel the people that don't like you and your stuff and don't want to work with you. And you're going to keep the people that do. And I see that. I see very few unsubscribes. Um, you know, I'll see one here and there, but the people that stick around, eventually they reach out and connect with you. Um, so, so that number two was now, if email is important, growing my email list is important. And now, how can I get creative on doing that? And that's where, you know, you and I even had some back and forth on these questions in the chat. Uh, what if I do this? What if I do this? What if I do this? And then you came out with a module on how to do that. I'll give you an example. I'm, I'm running a challenge right now. And in the past, I would have had like a, a Zoom call that you would join. Well, now I'm using the registration feature on Zoom to get your email. <laughs> even if you haven't joined the challenge yet, it's more of the teaser to the challenge. And, and now I've, I've got that on the email. Um, what else? You know, every time I share anything or talk to somebody, it's like, how can I bring them in so that they continue to get the value I'm giving them on this one thing going forward? Um, the, the launching itself, like launching the challenge was super easy because now I had this idea that, uh, there's a ready-made audience in my email list. So send out the information, you know, say that it's coming, give them the links and so on. Um, I share content like my podcast and and all sorts of things. And people who take action, I'm able to follow that. Like if those who are listening who are using an email um, marketing tool where you can track clicks, track tags and stuff like that, you can use this strategy to um, 
follow up with action takers. Someone take actions, it means they're more interested than maybe someone else follow up. So I can go on. That's like a, a starting list of things. Yeah. Well, was, uh, was there any uh, hesitation uh, when you joined the course that it wasn't going to, you know, um, I've, I've mentioned the price on here a million times. It's a $500, $497, dollars course. Was there any hesitation that you weren't going to, you know, get that investment back? I mean, if it was $503, I don't know if I'd join, but 497 no. Um, there wasn't. And you know why? Because you're, you're at a meta level using the exact same strategy with, with us and your audience listening right now is that you are being transparent, open, talking about the price and saying what you're going to get out of it. And every time I heard, wow, what, you know, I want to understand these psychological triggers. What is he talking about? Belief shifting. Um, and you would explain it, but just like in nutrition coaching, you can explain exactly what to do and still, uh, there's a million questions and I wanted those questions answered and you answered them. So then I was able to take action and make it happen. And how would you say, you know, kind of initial impressions or like, at what point did you feel like, okay, this was, this was more than worth it? The first module, which was, I think the first or the second was the ICA. Um, one of the early modules developing your ideal client avatar, because I had tried doing that multiple times ever since NCI in different ways from different programs. And for some reason I wasn't getting where I wanted to with that, um, your modules took you step by step with specific questions to answer. So for me, at least my engineering mind, it was like a worksheet. I could just go bam, 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 bam. I actually, I even have it pulled up here just in case any of that came up so that, you know, when, when I'm on a call with somebody or when I'm on a podcast or everything, I like know the outcome, the result, the demographics, you know, the benefit and so on and so forth. So for me, that then unlocked, oh, here's what I talk about. Here are the problems I solve. Um, one of the changes I made was now I'm speaking to a narrower slice of my demographic who I really want to work with, you know, people who lift rather than just anybody, you know, people who have a foundation of XYZ rather than anybody. So that was, yeah, right off the bat. Yeah. So that's actually the most uh, common answer that I've gotten okay. was the ICA <laughs> module, which I did not expect. I almost was like, I know that every coach coming in this, this course is going to roll their eyes when they see another because everybody does it. Mm -hmm. Everybody does mm -hmm. the ICA stuff. The most common comment that I've received from the course is when I first saw that there was another ICA worksheet, I kind of hesitated. I almost didn't do it, but I'm so glad that I did because I've never done it like that. Um, yeah. so it's, that's been a pretty common thread. Uh, so I know like a lot of coaches who are listening who, you know, are, are thinking about joining. There's the, kind of intangible, like you mentioned, you know, having a process, having a system, having uh, clarity on who you serve and, you know, all that stuff, the offer, the outcome, all of that is, is kind of the intangible value that you've received. Uh, what about more tangible in terms of financial? You know, did I, did I actually earn my investment back through acquiring clients? What's that been like for you? Sure. I mean, for me, acquiring one client would have paid for it because, you know, I, my six month program is multiple times the cost of your course. So, uh, I've been able to reach and, um, bring on clients at least four now just through email, uh, or messenger or email. Uh, and then another four or so. And this is just in the last month through calls or some other method who found me through my belief shifting emails. So it, it's more than paid for itself right off the bat. And for reference, how how big is your email list? It's not that big. It's 200. I mean, it started at like 170 and now it's up to about 230 just in the last five weeks, which percentage-wise is pretty decent growth. Yeah, it's amazing. So, and I, I wanted to give that context because I think there's there's also that um, 
pre-existing belief that you have to have thousands of emails in order for it to be successful. And I usually say that that 100 is kind of like that minimum where once you've got 100 emails, quality, depending on how you how you got them. Uh, but if it's 100 quality emails, um, you can start to consistently enroll some clients from there. Um, and then again, it's just it's just building the right foundation uh, because it is, you know, the, the people that say that that email marketing is dead and this, that and the other, it, it's it's an asset and it's an asset that you own and it's an asset that you have control over. Um, unlike social, unlike, you know, Instagram, I like I was telling the story to uh, some of my private clients. Uh, we had a call on Wednesday and my Instagram went from two, two, three thousand views on my stories, every single story to like 300 overnight. It just randomly mm-hmm. uh, like last week. And I just noticed it. I was like, oh, that's strange. And then it happened. It was like, I don't know why nobody's seeing my stories anymore. So, so like that, I have no control over that. Nothing yeah. changed. It's a mystery. And then I even, I let the stories expire. I put up some polls because that usually generates more views and it increased it a little bit, but nowhere near um, the reach that I was getting previously. I have no control. I can't, I can't do anything about that. But with email, I know um, I own that list. Nobody can, can touch it. Nobody can do anything with it. Um, you know, of course the CRM can decide to shut me down. I can go to another CRM. Like it's, mm-hmm. it, you own the contact. So I think from a, from a foundational standpoint, I like an email to the habits that we talk about with, with nutrition coaching. It's, it's the, the walking, it's the, you know, eating enough protein, it's the building muscle. Um, it's kind of all of those things. And then, yes, of course we have to get better at the, uh, you know, at copywriting and, and articulating our offer. And, uh, a lot of times I think, the challenge that that we face as coaches is we're we're listening to the uh, the advice of be vague, don't share how you do what you do because then people will do it on their own. Don't share your prices ever. It's like we kind of instinctually know that we want to just tell people like we're we're excited, we can get results. We just want to tell people how we do it, but then we hear this this noise in the background that's like, wait, don't do that. And then I think we get conflicted. Um, how's that? How's that feel? Is it like a once you started doing it, did it click? Was it something that you were like, okay, now this this feels more in alignment? It it did click and it's a skill like any other. So the I, I would say anybody who's listening, it's not like you have to go from zero to five emails a week, right? You even have in your course uh, a kind of laddered approach of, hey, start with one, then go to three, then and and so that's what I'm doing because I couldn't just jump all into five a week from the first one. I I did maybe two and now I'm up to three or four. Um, but the more you practice, the more you write those emails, the more that, uh, people ask questions, the more engaged you get. I'm now, I'm my, uh, list of potential podcast topics has gotten like too long now because <laughs> the thought process I go through for this, uh, allows me to realize exactly what people want, what, what people are looking for and how I help people. So it's super aligned. It also takes less time than a lot of the other stuff because you can repurpose a lot of that. I like to go through themes. Like I'll have a week or two where it's a similar theme. So I'll have a carousel over here. I'll have a reel over here. I'll have my podcast episode. I'll have my emails. It's all the same information, just maybe crafted in little different ways, but it's a super efficient way to do it and reach a lot of engaged people. Nice. Um, if you were to kind of take a brand new coach um, who's maybe just in the process of getting certified, wants to help people, uh, you know, really doesn't have much of an audience. How would you advise in terms of like starting things the right way? Uh, Cause I think that's usually what we, what we always love when we get into this as a nutrition coach. And then even when, you know, when you transition into giving some business advice, it's always, 
man, I made a lot of mistakes and I would love to help somebody avoid uh, some of those pitfalls. So like, what are some of those things for a brand new coach who's just in the process that wants to grow a business, they want to help people? Um, what would you give them as kind of your your starting point checklist? Man, that's a tough one because I don't I don't coach coaches, but I do have a lot of friends who are coaches and we help each other out. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of what we talked about today in terms of the principles of doing things that are aligned with what you feel and not just uh, following the latest and greatest flashy flash in the pan program, you know, for cold DMs. Um, delivery is probably one of the first things that it's most important as a coach is actually delivering to your clients because the rest doesn't matter, right? <laughs> um, so take the time to do that up front. For me, that was the guinea pig phase. You know, I wasn't charging, but I didn't care because I was asking my clients. Because I wasn't charging them, I felt kind of the, you know, there was not the moral, the the weird obligation of like, I'm asking for them a lot of for help and feedback on me and they're paying me. No, it was more, hey, we're partners in this process. You're helping me and we're learning about this together. So the more of that you can have early, um, 5, 10, 15, 20 people where you're not looking to get paid, you're looking to learn and become better at what you do and deliver is probably the biggest thing um, right there. So and then, and then maybe another is find the, find the way of outreach that resonates with you. So I'm not a big fan of social media, even though I use it, but I love podcasting. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it regularly. It's a long form way to reach people. And every time you, I put out a podcast, I tell them exactly what I'm thinking and how to do something. And then I get the 20 questions from that. <laughs> you know? So th- those are a couple things I could think of, Mike. Yeah. No, those are great. I would, I would love to, um, I want to just really reinforce the first part of that, which is get really good at what you do. Yeah. And I think that's the delivery is every, and again, it's not saying that you have to know everything. It's saying pour into your clients first and foremost. Let that be, if, if you're a brand new coach and you're just certified, you're taking on some guinea pig clients for free, give them everything, give them the best experience you possibly can. Even if that means you have to say, I don't know a lot. Um, it's going to go a long way in, in leveling up your skill set. And that's the most important thing because we can't ethically talk about the outcomes that we create unless we know we can create them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first thing. And then to your point about finding the communication channel, the platform that resonates with you, go deep on that. Don't just, you know, spread yourself thin because you, you heard that you need to be everywhere. Um, focus in on just one. What if it's, if it's podcast? Really pour into that and optimize before you expand. If it's Instagram, optimize before you expand. If it's Facebook, optimize before you expand. Find the one that feels the most natural to you that you actually enjoy doing and and go deep on that and improve it. There's there's probably a lot for people who uh, feel like, oh, well, you know, Facebook was working, but now it's not. So I should just jump over to Instagram. No, like continue to work. There's probably a lot of meat left on that bone that you can, that you haven't optimized yet. Um, and we immediately want to jump to the new thing because we hear, you know, there's, there's a lot of creative people out there who are making claims and telling you how much money you can make on each different platform. But, um, once you feel like you've extracted as much as you possibly can out of a platform, then and only then, I think, um, would it be worth expanding? But that's just a, another personal philosophy. I know people feel differently about that. Um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I agree, right? There's the broad versus deep, but how do you know what you're doing in this channel is going to work on the other channels until you spend some time, get the feedback, get the analytics, get the data, KPIs, whatever you want to call it, people telling you that, you know, you know, this is awful or I love what you're doing, you know, I mean, get the feedback and then start to expand from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So as we start to wrap up here, is there, is there anything else that uh, I didn't ask you or I didn't cover that you feel like would be 
valuable to any coaches that are listening? Not sure, Mike. I mean, you you covered a lot. I mean, we we jam packed it full of information. So, um, no, I just I just want to thank you for what you do here on the show and in the course and everything else because there aren't a lot of individuals that I've found who just say it like it is, no BS. Here's how it's done, um, and that that resonates with me. So you're a man of integrity, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that. And uh, for those who are listening, if you're interested in the course, you can just DM me on Instagram. Um, I don't. There's like a Whenever I say the URL, I always have people who come back and they're like, I tried putting it in and it didn't work. It works for me. So, but when I send the link, it always works. So now I'm just having you DM me on Instagram. Um, and again, in the name of transparency, here's how the process works. You DM me and tell me you're interested in the course. I send you the link for the course and then you decide to buy or not. And that's exactly how it works. Um, that was another thing that I was surprised with a lot of people when they do the call to action, uh, they leave it very vague when you tell somebody the next step, somebody who's interested, mm-hmm. somebody who wants to work with you. And it's like, you know, Hey, take this action, but we never tell them what's going to happen. And we, I think that's a big mistake. Tell somebody what happens when they DM you, tell somebody what happens when they click the link, tell somebody what happens when they book a call, you know, is it true? Are you, is it a call to, to see if you want to enroll in coaching? Is it a call to solve a specific problem? Is it, what is the call? Um, I think that's uh, we, we would do a lot better if we just transparently said, hey, when you take this action, here's what to expect. If you DM me, I'm going to send you this link and then you're going to go to the course landing page and you're going to either buy or not. Hey, when you DM me, I'm going to ask you a few questions to see if you're a good fit for our program. And we actually do enrollments over DM. We don't do sales calls. Like Full transparency goes a long way. So I just wanted to end on that. Um, Philip, let everybody know where they can connect with you, how they can follow you and how they can listen to your show. Sure. Yeah. My show is called Wits and Weights. So if you're listening to Mike's show right now, go and click the follow button, search Wits and Weights. Um, and then you can reach me on Instagram at Wits and Weights. Awesome. And I will post both of those in the show notes. I appreciate your time. And uh, thank you for being the first guest on the Coach's Compass. And we'll we'll chat soon. Yeah, it was an honor to come on. Thanks so much. 